Hey marketers, if you want to get the latest news, trends, and insights in marketing, advertising, and tech, check out the Adweek Podcast Network. Learn from leading voices across media and marketing with original shows like Yeah, That's Probably an Ad, Marketing Vanguard, and Tech Magic with Kathy Hackle. Start listening now by searching Adweek wherever you listen to podcasts. My dad works in B2B marketing. He came by my school for career day and said he was a big ROAS man. Then he told everyone how much he loved calculating his return on ad spend. My friends still laugh at me to this day. Not everyone gets B2B, but with LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people who do. Get $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash generate to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash generate. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Hey, everybody, before we get started today, this is David Griner at Adweek. Uh, we've got a big announcement, big thing we've had in the works. A big baby we've been uh, we've been germinating over here at Adweek. And with me to talk about it is Al Manorino, producer of this podcast and more podcasts here at Adweek. Because, Al, what did we launch in the last few days? We launched a David Greiner fan club. No, we actually launched the nice. Adweek podcast network. Um, one in the same. Yes. One in the same, exactly. <laughs> Uh, yeah, the Adweek Podcast Network. This is so exciting. Uh, I don't think we've gotten to talk about it publicly in all the time you've been working on this. It's been many months in the process. Uh, chances are, if you're listening to this, you know that Adweek has some podcasts. Uh, this one's been around, I think, woof, I've lost track six years or something. But now we've got a whole slate of podcasts, some produced by us, some produced by partners. Uh, tell us about... Tell us about the podcast network, Al. Like, uh, how big is it, and uh, where do you see it going? Yeah, so uh, we kind of started this uh, early, or not early, uh, at the end of last year, trying to figure out like what this would be. And initially, the concept was like we have a few shows on the on Ad Week, but they feel so separate from each other. Yeah, that's probably an ad, and CMO moves feel like they're in two different continents. And I was like, well, let's try to put them all together, and you know, let people know that they're is a few shows on ad week that they can, you know, gain knowledge in marketing and advertising and leadership and things like that. And then it kind of really snowballed and we started working with um, some outside partners on new original shows and then found some shows that we loved shows that have actually won awards from ad week that are now part of the network, which is crazy. So we are uh, initially launching with 12 shows, including the one that you were listening to right now. Um, and those shows include uh, Adweek originals like CMO Moves and Metaverse Marketing, but then some really exciting new shows, one hosted by yours truly called Adweek Presents, where I dive deep into the Adweek archives and um, give you talks that you've never heard from people like J-Lo and Alex Rodriguez and Chip and Joanna Gaines. And then we have a very exciting podcast with someone else you might know, Shannon Miller, uh, a DEI hey, podcast. Co-host of, co-host of this, of this podcast. show. Yeah. Um, called Off Madison. And it's going to be a, a narrative podcast, a narrative D- DEI podcast um, that you'll learn a lot more about very soon. Uh, but you can listen to the trailer that um, Shannon has made that um, makes you very jealous because she is way too good at podcasting. Uh, But yeah, there's so much, so much uh, great content uh, available right now for you. And then our plan is to just keep growing and keep finding shows that are going to be beneficial for our audience. Yeah. 12 podcasts for now, 112 podcasts by January. Please please don't wish that on me. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, where can everyone find these shows? You can find us 
on adweek.com slash podcast, and you can stay up to date on all Adweek podcasts by following at Adweek podcast on Twitter. Yep. So definitely check out Adweek Podcasts on Twitter and at adweek.com slash adweekpodcast. Uh, and yeah, congratulations, Al. I, I, we could fill a whole hour just talking about all the great shows on there. We will try to uh, share some of those with folks in the coming weeks just to kind of uh, not just pack it all into one heavy intro. Uh, but yeah, it's great. So proud of it. So excited to see uh, podcasts. <laughs> For those who haven't made one, it's a lot of work. Uh, producing one it's a lot of work so uh, really appreciate everything you and the team here at Adweek have done to get this launched thank you so much I'm so excited for you to be a part of it and I can't wait for everyone to hear all these amazing shows all right well thanks so much Al Manorino producer for Adweek for the podcast I was about to say for this podcast and the Adweek podcast network thanks so much Al and with that on to this week's show You're listening to, yeah, that's probably an ad. It's the Adweek Podcast, where we talk about marketing, media, technology, pop culture, because in the end, everything is an ad. I'm David Greiner. I'm the international editor with Adweek. And with me, as always, is Shannon Miller, author of this week's cover story in Adweek, uh, which we will be talking about quite a bit today. Shannon, how are you doing? Great job on the awesome story. Thank you so much. I feel very special. <laughs> I think you're on the cover like uh, every third issue. Uh, and and then alternating with our other guest this week, Jason Lynch, uh, frequent uh, cover author on uh, Adweek's print edition and our TV editor, our guru for all things TV and streaming. Jason, uh, always great to have you on the show. Hey there. It's great to be back. All right. So this week, we've got two things to talk about. One is that cover story. Uh, and well, and they're all connected. Uh, one is the cover story, which is about... Well, Shannon, tell us who is on the cover of this week's Adweek. Okay, not to get too personal here, but I have a few folks that have like existed on my bucket list of interviews for a few years now. And one of them um, is our cover star this week, and it is Quinta Brunson of Ale Abbott Elementary and just general digital fame. I was so excited to talk to her. Um, and I want to say that I kept it cool the entire time. I did not. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The the article does not convey that you did not. Okay, so great. Like, the article makes it sound like it was just a completely chill conversation. <laughs> it was for the most part. Um, it, it's it was an incredible honor to get to talk to her and and talk about just her creative process and kind of her journey leading up to um, one of the most successful network comedies of the past couple of years. So that was pretty much the bulk of the conversation, just talking about digital and then sort of that very interesting pipeline that she sort of helped create. Well, we're definitely obviously going to be talking about that interview and what we picked up, what you learned about Quinta, about uh, about Abbott Elementary. Um, but Jason, help us set the stage here. This is uh, one of the most important times, arguably the most important time of the year for the, the ad buying side of television. Uh, it is the upfront. And... What give us a give us some context? This is like a really weird existential moment for the television advertising industry. Give us that that big picture of of where we're at and why that's the case. Yeah, there there is a lot going on in uh, in the space right now for sure. So you know we're we're starting to kind of ramp up upfront season. Um, some of these smaller TV uh, networks and outlets are holding. Uh, smaller events for marketers, smaller upfront events, and this is all leading up to Upfront Week, which will be returning 
next month in the middle of May, and it will be in person for the first time since before the pandemic, so the first time in three years. So so there's there's that uncertainty just of like what these events are going to look like. Will we even make it to next month without cases going up and everybody having to rethink their plans? So that is a big question. Then you layer in on top of everything that's going on in the industry right now, which is this uh, this seismic shift in viewing patterns uh, as as consumers are increasingly fleeing linear for streaming. And then you also have an industry-wide kind of battle over measurement and everybody's unhappy with Nielsen. Um, you know, Nielsen lose, losing its ratings accreditation last year, all the media companies trying to come up with their own measurement alternatives to come up with new currencies to transact upfront and and other TV advertising on that they feel like will will better encompass all of the ways that people are watching TV right now. So uh, who's what, what are the shows that people want to watch? What platforms are they going to watch them on? Uh, how are we going to pay for how how what's the currency that we're going to pay to transact to, uh, our advertising on? And then of course, will the upfronts actually be in person the next month as planned? So there is a lot of big questions swirling around uh, swirling around the industry right now. Yeah, it's it's a fascinating time, and to see this transition from the traditional Nielsen model, which most folks uh, listening to this probably know how that works, uh, and just how it got completely rattled by COVID, uh, like so many other things did. Uh, but moving to what what we take for granted on the digital side of being able to say, oh, okay, I paid this much and this many people watched it. I, I have these impressions. I, I have these very specific numbers. And TV, of course, getting more digital by the day. And we're slowly getting there. Just not quite not quite ready to move all into that uh, this year. Uh, but I mean, is it going to be like dramatically different next year, you think? Yeah, so it, it, this is this is the conundrum that marketers have right now, and uh, we actually have a, a feature story in this week's issue alongside uh, Shannon's great Quinta story that uh, addresses this very issue, which is how are marketers going to approach the upfront this year when everybody is trying to develop their own measurement solution and, and what do they think? And, and it's, it's it's a great story um, by a freelancer uh, of, of ours um, named Paige uh, Albanak, but um but I think you know, really, really, the crux of that is the feeling is, despite all of the the change and the turmoil when it comes to measurement right now, a lot of the marketers that we talk to feel like it's going to be largely business as usual this year. Uh, however, that does not mean that you know there are not going to be huge changes on the horizon, probably for next year, certainly for the following year. So, while everybody is kind of bracing for the oncoming storm, the feeling is okay. We may be able to get through one more upfront. Uh, the way things have been, and then and then things are just going to go nuts. Wow. So we're going to come right back to you in just a minute uh, to but to talk about kind of where Abbott Elementary falls into this and and why we wanted specifically to highlight that show on this uh, this week's cover. Uh, but Shannon, first, give us a background on Quinta Brunson. She's had such a fascinating career. She doesn't easily fall into any one kind of title. Uh, you know, you use the, in your article you use the classic shorthand multi hyphenate. <laughs> when we when we don't know what to call someone, we call them a multi-hyphenate. Uh, but yeah, tell us a little bit about her background and and but like all the pre-Abbott Elementary stuff. So for anyone who's sort of existed extremely online, like me and my generation and the generations to follow have, Quinta Brunson has sort of been in the fabric of uh, digital entertainment for quite some time, specifically since 2014 
when she started releasing uh, indie comedy content on Instagram. And the reason why that was so significant is because during that time, everybody was flocking to Vine. That was the digital platform du jour at that time. And she kind of found a way to create an avenue for herself on a platform that really wasn't known for uh, creative content that even now is still not the place to go for short form content. And she's like, I'm gonna do me over here, which is probably one of the biggest um, stepping stones to her success is that she has this ability to see potential where others don't necessarily see it. And it worked. It sort of led to this viral fame. BuzzFeed uh, found her content, brought her on as a freelancer where she was creating, helping to create some of the brand's biggest videos, um, moved into a staff role as an official producer where she continued to create content. Um, and from there, she was sort of creating scripted television as BuzzFeed, uh, as BuzzFeed was expanding its um, digital content slate with BuzzFeed motion pictures. She had like two shows, Broke and Quinta versus Everything, that she was able to get on YouTube Red when that was getting sort of off the ground. It is no more, but um, she was, you know, helping with that. And also Facebook Watch, remember that? She has a show on there. Uh, so she sort of has this experience with creating scripted content for sort of like up and coming or like nascent digital spaces. And that has helped her sort of get her face out there on top of everything that she was doing locally in LA between stand-up and improv and everything else. So she was really sort of building this profile as like this digital maven, but like running concurrently to that, she was a writer and a comedian and she kind of showed that she could do anything and sort of handle any sort of creative thing that went her way. And then she sort of made the jump to HBO after like a, a couple of like small star uh, guest starring roles uh, with Black Lady Sketch Show. And she's just sort of proven to be this very unique voice in comedy and it was always clear that she was going to go places. Um, we just kind of had to sit back and wait. I don't think I could have predicted that it would have been a workplace comedy on ABC. On ABC. <laughs> in an elementary school where she is a teacher. Um, but I mean, that's just kind of what Quinta does. She kind of goes for the unexpected and makes it work for her. Yeah. And your story really gets into something I, I hadn't really thought about until reading that story is that you think of creators and most of them blow up on one platform, right? And she certainly got her start with the very early days of Instagram video when it was, I mean, very early, very mm -hmm. rough days of Instagram <laughs> video. And, but like, unlike the vast majority of creators, she never was hemmed in by any one platform. And so I, you, you know, you have a quote from her where she says like, especially when she went to VidCon, which, you know, one of the biggest kind of social content creator uh, conferences and realized, you know, I'm a writer. Like I, I, I want to create content. And for, for writers like that, I think TV still has this prestige that you're just never going to get. There, there isn't an equivalent of that in social obviously there isn't streaming um but i think it's fascinating that she ended up on on abc so jason tell us kind of where and this is something i think i don't think a lot of people sit around thinking about but it's a fascinating thing is where were scripted sitcoms 
you know, coming into this past year. It feels like it was a, a we have these moments where they seem to blow up. And then all of a sudden they seem to like just die off completely. <laughs> yeah, it, it was interesting. So there, there's two recent big moments that come to mind. And one for me, uh, the first one for me is when Big Bang Theory went off the air, which was a few years ago. And at that point, the feeling is, okay, this is the last big sitcom that has huge audiences. Like, is this the death of, of broadcast sitcom? And at the time, everyone said, well, something else will come along. It probably isn't. But it's still, it felt like the end of, of, of an era. And then more recently, not even a year ago, I would say 11 months ago, when uh, talking about last year's Upfront, last year's Upfront week, when all of the networks uh, announced their new fall schedules and NBC's fall schedule didn't have any sitcoms on it. And they said, well, you know, we're, we've, we've structured this uh, for a reason and we're going to have we're going to have comedies coming in, in, in the winter. Don't worry about it. But there, it still led to this kind of public kind of hand wringing about broadcasts or you know broadcast sitcom it's the end of the broadcast sitcom it's done you know some of the some of the networks don't even want it and then all of a sudden fast forward to this spring where Abbott Elementary is is the huge breakout for sure but we're all of a sudden in this like kind of mini renaissance for broadcast sitcoms we also have Grand Crew on on NBC which is terrific there's also American Auto uh and there, there's a couple other oh uh, Ghosts on CBS which was which was a breakout in the fall so all of a sudden you have you have a handful of of really really solid uh sitcoms on broadcast where less than a year ago the narrative was broadcast comedy is dead and all of a sudden you know with quinta and with abbott elementary leading leading the way all of a sudden there's this real realization of wait a minute no it's not now are any of these shows going to get big bang theory numbers well no nothing except for the nfl is right now but that doesn't change the fact that um abbott elementary and some of these other shows prove that there is still an audience for great comedies on on broadcast and it also feels to me that that this is still this is still a genre that streamers especially have had a harder time cracking. You know, there there've been a few that are that are good, but it doesn't. Uh, comedies don't really on streaming uh, really kind of get into the zeitgeist the way that they do on broadcast. I mean, just think about how many people talk about Ele Abbott Elementary, how many people love Abbott Elementary, and there's just not that many other comedies where people have that uh, degree of affection for on you know on streamers. Yeah, I feel like there's there's probably a name for these these kinds of comedies that we all do think of when we think of like, oh, there's there's great comedies on streaming, but they're not sitcoms. You know, right. they're things like, uh, you know, uh, what's the pirate, the pirate show? <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, but even things like Rami on 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 uh, on Hulu, um, which has, has been away for a little bit or, um, you know, they're 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 great and, 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 and they're critically acclaimed and they are terrific, but it just they don't they don't strike a nerve in the way something like Abbott Elementary does just to get the relatability of, you know, obviously we all went to elementary school. We all know what that is like. We have, you know, that 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 mockumentary format, which, you know, obviously the office and modern family, and we've seen that and it felt like it was done to death for a while. And all of a sudden it kind of seems fresh, you know, in Quinna's, uh, you know, in her vision. And, and it just, um, yeah, it just, it's, these shows are just relatable in a way that all of these, you know, 500 plus shows on the air right now, um, you know, just, just aren't, aren't to us. All right, uh, let's take a quick break, and then we'll be back to keep talking TV. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. 
Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash generate to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash generate. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. All right, we're back and uh, ready to talk more TV. So, uh, Shannon, uh, going back to the interview, obviously the really fun part, um, getting to chat with her. I guess what surprised you about, you know, this is always my favorite question to ask about talking to celebrities, uh, because I think we all have a certain mental image, especially if it's someone we admire. Uh, what, what surprised you about her? I don't know that anything surprised me about her. And I think that was the biggest surprise was that she, who she is or who she sort of been on digital and what we've seen via BuzzFeed and her work is exactly who she is um, off the clock or, you know, in an interview. Like, it's weird to be like, I just felt like I've known you for a long, long time. And this was the first time that I genuinely felt that because there was just no difference. There there was like really no difference at all. And I thought that that was really um, great because she was very authentic and very um, incredibly candid about sort of the state of digital creation and sort of what digital creators today can expect in order to sort of grow their skill. And I thought that that was very useful because um, one of the things that she said, like, because for a long time, people have sort of referred to her as this digital creator. When you see her in digital and you see her in memes and you see her in BuzzFeed, it's very hard to sort of separate her from that culture. And she was very, you know, adamant about saying, you know, I'm I'm not a digital creator. I like the space. I, I can even love the space, but I'm not obsessed with it. I'm a writer and I'm a comedian. Um, and sort of her encouraging digital creators now to really, you know, hone their skill and, you know, really figure out their craft and figure out a number of different ways to attack it and not be so reliant on the digital space, I thought was just very good, very good advice, but nothing that I would expect from someone that I would have originally really um, thought to be synonymous with digital creation. So it was, it was really cool to hear her talk about that. Another thing that really surprised me was um, during the interview, she really applauded the, the um, strategy that ABC used for uh, Abbott Elementary's pilot, which was to debut the pilot a month before they sort of went on with the rest of the series. So they had the debut on December 7th of 2021, and then audiences had to wait like over 30 days for episode two. And during that time, they could stream the pilot episode as much as they wanted on Hulu. So it was sort of this thing that was done in partnership. And from the outside looking in, when you don't know anything about TV, you're just like, what is happening? And why are they sabotaging my show before it even gets off the ground? 
where she was like, no, 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 this was great because it allowed people to find the show and really settle into the pilot and sort of gear themselves up for the remainder of the series. And it allowed people to really um, figure out that Abbott Elementary also had a home on Hulu. So that strategy, she said, like really set up the show for success, which I originally I would have not have considered that to be a viable thing, but it, it worked. And as we can see, it kind of worked brilliantly. Did she give you a sense of whether she has a career path uh, in mind for the next few years or just her long-term growth? We didn't really talk about that. I She did say that like she considers herself, you know, like I said, writer, comedian, and you can really take that so many different avenues. Um, she's used like past shows to kind of like build her experience with producing and executive producing and, and all of that. So we didn't talk about it, um, but I will be really curious to see where she takes it because it could very easily go in the space of direction and, and everything else. So, um, yeah, I think there's still a lot left in her. Jason, do you feel like there are some parallels out there? I mean, I guess I find myself thinking about Michael Schur and these people who come up through comedy and take it to some really unexpected places and really kind of show their intellect in a lot of different ways and feel. And I think these days the networks seem to be like, just stay with us. You can do whatever. Just stay with us. I mean, it, it, it's interesting to me because I, you know, I have to admit I, I was a huge fan of, uh, of of her on Black Lady Sketch Show and just a Black Lady Sketch Show in general. And when I heard she wasn't coming back uh, from for season two, we're now in season three of that show because she was going to do this this broadcast pilot. I was like, what What are you doing? Like, it's just not. <laughs> she's not going to work. I mean, it just again historically, this is just not. Um, this is this is a uh, an environment that isn't necessarily hospitable to. To kind of new voices and um and it really is more for people who've kind of come up in that and she is obviously the exception to the role which is which has been great and and i hope that because she is able to you know in a lot of ways she has i wouldn't say she has reinvented the genre but she's certainly breathed new life into it and i hope that not only does this um does this bode well for her and and open her opportunities within quote unquote traditional TV, but it will also encourage networks to give chances to other people from her background and people who are not just somebody they're plucking from the writing staff of another hit show. Um, you know, I still think back to a and and this um, the the discussion we've been having had had me thinking back to kind of the earlier days of New Fronts several years ago where, and this was even before a lot of these media companies had their streamers and like, they just kind of had, like they, they started to like experiment with digital and everybody just brought out like a YouTube, a YouTube influencer or just somebody who had like gone viral on YouTube. And they're like, okay, this person's going to do things for us. And, but it was, they didn't know how to use them. And it was just like, well, do for us what you do on YouTube. And it's not, you know, it's not it's easier said than done. And I think, you know, Quinta is, is an incredible example of somebody who, um, you know, as Shannon was saying, you know, you take the writing skills and that's what you apply. It's not the ability to go viral that that is what is going to make them work on another platform. It's it's kind of like the the thinking behind that and the vision behind that. And now you have everybody figuring that out. Where for years and years and years it was just like, oh, if they can go viral on YouTube, 
maybe they can go viral for us. Um, so, so that's, that's exciting to kind of see the industry finally realize, oh, there's, there's more here than just, you know, like how many followers they have on another platform. Well, if you like talking TV trends uh, and seeing where this industry is going, you will definitely want to check out uh, Adweek's Convergent TV Summit that's coming up very soon. That's April 26 to 28. Uh, it's going to be hybrid. You're going to be there in person. I'll be there in person. Uh, and uh, we will also have uh, streaming versions. Jason will be there all over the place. Uh, and we've got so much content uh, coming up for that. So if you want to find out about that one, you can just Google uh, Adweek Convergent TV or you can... Uh, Go check out the events page on adweek.com. So with that, uh, thank you both. Jason, always a pleasure to have you on the show. Yeah, I'm always happy to be here and talk TV. Shannon, thanks for the super fun read. Hope everyone checks it out on adweek.com and Adweek's print edition. Go read about Quinn Brunson before she takes over the whole world. And uh, thanks for sharing all the background on that story with us. Thanks for um, allowing me the opportunity to do this. I am going to go die a quiet death now. <laughs> You've, you've got so much more, so much more ahead of you. All right. Well, thank you, everybody. Our theme music is by Home. This week's episode was produced by Al Manorino and edited by Lane McGibney. If you haven't already, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Those reviews mean a lot to us personally, and they help new listeners discover the show. You can reach us anytime at podcast at adweek.com. That's podcast at adweek.com. For Adweek, I'm David Greiner, and we will be back next week.